The tornado came and swept this little girl and her dog away to a faraway land. And she got out of the house with her little dog, Toto, and she said, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. And Dorothy landed smack dab in the middle of a new land called the Land of Oz. Hey, we're not in Kansas anymore. Life has changed. And it feels something at different times like the land of Oz. You remember uh, Dorothy always wanted to get back home, and she discovered that if she wanted to get back home, she needed to walk the yellow brick road and find the Wizard of Oz so that she could leave uh, this strange, weird land and find her way home to Kansas again, to family and friends, uh, to what was normal for her and comfortable in her life. And some of us, all of us, really, are looking for a way to navigate through this strange Oz-like time, this season. And by the way, I know that this is what's big on our map. Uh, in 2020, uh, uh, pandemics and uh, weird uh, way of doing life, masks in the room, uh, social distancing, uh, businesses closed or just opening, um, add to that cultural shifts and, and challenges within the framework of our culture, uh, things look and feel different. And I know it feels very big on our map today, but can I tell you, if you look at the landscape of history, uh, harder times have hit people. More challenging seasons have confronted the church. My goodness, there was a season just after the church was birthed that, that you were killed for being a follower of Jesus. We're not there, are we? No, we, well, not at all. It, it, we're, we're nowhere close to being killed for being a follower of Jesus in the United States of America. Nowhere close, not in your lifetime or mine. Now, we do live in challenging times, but let's not get crazy about it. Now, let's not lose focus. Let's not lose strength. Let's not be captured by fear. Uh, that's not how the Scripture tells us to live. Amen. We are walking a yellow brick road, but our goal is not to get back to where things used to be. Our goal is to get to where God wants us to be. And that's a different place altogether. Some of us are fighting very hard to get back to where we used to be. But friends, let let me take a moment and remind you where you used to be was dead in your sin and your trespass. Now, where we used to be was lost as a goose in a storm. Where we used to be was not where we want to be. Praise God, we're not where we used to be. And every day is a gift, every day, even these days, it's a gift of God's grace to take us, not where we used to be, but where he wants us to be. 
So today, let's open up God's Word, Colossians chapter 2, and let's discover this path that God is taking us on. Now, we confront this weird time in which we live in different ways. We, each one of us, have different uh, challenges that we confront. Uh, most of the time, we're walking in a fog, and we don't know what the next step may be. But friends, the good news for us is that we have a God who has given us a rescuer who determines to lead us step by step, day by day, so that we live each moment and navigate each difficulty as people who have been forgiven of our sin, made fully alive in Jesus Christ, and have been set free to live for God's glory. This is who you are if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, not cowering in fear of some unknown force out there, but rather boldly declaring, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a son and daughter of God. I have been forgiven my sin. I'm no longer enslaved by the sin of my yesterday or even the sin of my today or even the sin of my tomorrow. I have been forgiven. I've been made fully alive. I'm no longer trying to find tidbit, trying to find tidbits and morsels to satisfy a soul that feels more like an empty hole. No, I am complete, fully complete in Jesus Christ. I am fully alive in him. I've been set free. I'm no longer bound by the shackles of sin. Sin no longer has dominion or power over me. I have been set free by Jesus Christ. Now, there are people and maybe you're one of them, but there, there are people who struggle with the idea that I'm a whole person solely and only and supremely because of Jesus. That Jesus alone gives me everything that I need to live a fully alive life. You remember last week, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, and you are complete in him. Complete, whole. That's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been made whole. And the problem in the church was there of Colossae, and for some of us today, there were people who believed and who were teaching that you need to do more in order to be more. You need to add something to the equation of your life other than Jesus Christ in order to be made whole. You, 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 need, you need something additional that Jesus somehow can't provide. And friends, I've got to tell you, if there is any ideology that is dangerous to the church today, it's not the ideology that we find out there. It's the ideology that we find in here in the family of faith that says Jesus isn't really enough. We need more. I was uh, reading one of my pastor friends this past week, and, and uh, he made a, stom uh, a comment. Uh, maybe it was two weeks ago, but I, I was reading something he wrote, and he's a friend. He's a brother in Christ. I love him like a brother, and, and yet he wrote, this for his public to read that unless the candidate of his choice for president was elected, then the future of the church was in jeopardy. 
Friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You see, the future of the church is not in jeopardy from forces of this world. Jesus is the one who established the church. He is the one who made it. He is the one who calls us together. And the Bible says that not even the gates of hell shall prevail against the church. Jesus is all the church needs. That's it. Doesn't mean it might not be easier under circumstances that are different. It might, it might be okay, but friends, let, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that there is something beyond Jesus that we need for our protection. There isn't. Jesus is all we need. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at in, in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 23. And, and, and he's trying to lead his, his readers, and God is trying to lead you and me today to see that Jesus really is all we need, that in Jesus we are forgiven. We are fully alive, and we are free, regardless of how difficult it may be, regardless of, of flying monkeys that our, seek our harm, regardless of, of, of fields of flowers that would put us to sleep, regardless of, of the wicked witch of the West, regardless of any uh, circumstance or obstacle, Jesus is all we need. In him, we are forgiven. We are fully alive. We are free. Now, as Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 10, he said, in him, in him you are complete. Now, verse 11, he picks up, and he's really picking up that argument, and, 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 he's, and we're going to read verses 11 through 15, then we'll come back to verses 16 through 23. But, but let, just read along with me, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. In him. Now, who is the him? All right, I've been preaching to an empty room for a lot of times, and now I have people in the room, and I really need for you to say it out loud, like really loud, even through a mask, okay? So, 2.11, it says, in him. Who is him? Jesus. Jesus. All right. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven, all, uh, forgiven you all trespasses." Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. As we look at this passage Paul is telling us that in Jesus we are forgiven, fully alive, and free, and that's all we need. Now, friends, I, I'm not suggesting that, that we shouldn't wish that hard times get easier. I'm not suggesting that at all. I, I wish hard times would get easier. When I had uh, four children and two or three of them were in diapers at the time, I wished that they would all get potty trained. I wish hard times would get easier. 
uh, when I was putting uh, one year, I only have one daughter left in college, praise God, hallelujah, amen. But there was a season when I had three daughters in college. I prayed for hard times to get easier. And now I only have one. There won't be long before I don't have any. And praise God, I get a raise, all right? Uh, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got another daughter that's getting married August the 8th. And, and uh, we're leading up to that. We're in the, we're in the COVID crunch of wedding planning uh, that comes to August 8th. And, and this wedding looks different than any other wedding I've ever done, uh, and certainly different than the wedding of my other daughter. Uh, it looks different. The planning's different. It's hard times. I wish and I pray for the hard times to get easier. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask and pray and long for difficult days to get easier. What I am saying is what the Bible teaches us, that even in the difficult days and the hard times, we have all we need to experience the joy and the hope and the fulfillment of life. Why? Because we have Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He has forgiven us our sin. Uh, Jesus, in verses 11 and 12, Jesus has stripped away the sin that stood as a barrier between us and God. He's given us a forgiveness that is more than just a sentimental acquiescence to the wrongs we have done. It's more than a human act of declaring a wrong thing right. He has given us a forgiveness that is marked by the very power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of God's forgiving love at work in sinners like you and me. We have been forgiven, and it's not a forgiveness that we have earned. It's not a forgiveness that we have somehow garnered God's grace to merit. No, it is a forgiveness that is dependent fully and solely on the fact that Jesus died in the place of sinners like you and me, and he took the debt of our sin and the guilt of our sin upon himself, and he nailed it to the cross, and he stripped us of that sinful covering that, 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 that marked us and, 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 and created a barrier between us and God. When I was uh, growing up, and even as an adult, um, I, I've stripped furniture, and you know, stripping furniture—it's—it's it's not an easy task, even with all the chemicals that they have today. When I was younger, and watched my parents who collected antiques, they would take, buy a piece of uh, antique, and an antique being o over 150, 200 years old—that's what they call antique, not 50 years old, but 150 years old. So they buy this antique, and then they would strip the furniture. Uh, if it had layers of paint on it, and usually they would use lye soap, and they'd be out in the uh, out in the backyard with uh, uh, those uh, yellow rubber gloves, and and they'd have uh, uh, have that lye soap, and they would be rubbing and rubbing and rubbing, and then they get the thing, and they'd they'd scrape and scrape and scrape, and finally they would get down to the real wood. There's a table in our house. Edie bought this table, and she wanted to strip it of its old paint. And here I am out in, the, uh, out in the backyard doing what my mom and dad used to do. And the technology of chemical use um, uh, has not enhanced the, the challenges of stripping that furniture, uh, at least not to the point where you don't have to work so hard at it. I'm out there, I'm sweating, and I'm scrubbing, and I'm scraping. And finally, finally, the chemicals penetrated the paint and the stain, and it, it wiped it out until I got to the 
bare wood. What the Bible says and what we find here in verses 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 is that Jesus has taken us and he stripped us down to the very inner parts of who we are. And he's taken our sin and the guilt of our sin. And he's taken that crookedness in us, the way we were, the way we are, the what we'll do next year. Uh, and, 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 and he stripped the sin of its power and he stripped us from the power of sin so that we are forgiven. And he took all that gunk and all that, that crookedness and he placed it on himself and he died on a cross in our place for our sins so that you and I, not based upon the works we do or the places we go or the people with whom we hang, but based solely upon God's grace, upon God's great love, he has forgiven us. We're forgiven. We're forgiven. Some of you did your taxes this past week. I did mine in January because I was getting a refund. Whoop, whoop. Some of you did your taxes this past week, and, and uh, you, you, you worked, or maybe you took your receipts to your accountant, or maybe you did it on your own. Uh, but, but, but whatever it is, you, 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 you looked and you worked on that tax bill, and, and some of you came out to the good. You you. you you, you don't owe any money. Maybe you get some back. Some of us, maybe you owe some money. Can I tell you something about taxes? It may feel like you're getting money back, but that's money you've already paid in. If you made any money this year, you owe some money this year. There is a bill that has come due. And by the way, the IRS keeps track of what you owe. And if it's a, a dollar or 10 or 20 or 20,000, they know. They might not do anything with it uh, about it today, but eventually they're going to get to you. They keep a record of the debt. When the Apostle Paul said that Jesus uh, demolished, took the, the handwriting of requirements and nailed it to the cross, he's talking about the debt that our sin owed. The debt of guilt that we owed because of our sin, and you owed it, and you owed it, and you owed it, and I owed it. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and that sin has created a barrier between us and God so that every day, separated from God by our sin, we live with a hole in our soul, and we will never be satisfied, and we'll never be complete, and we'll never be made whole, we'll never be free. Unless God in his grace does something to rescue us. And that's where Jesus came in. And he came riding in to our rescue to provide forgiveness through his own death on the cross. In Christ, we are forgiven our sin. The greatest need that we have is to be forgiven so that we might be fit for God's family. But the good news is what Christ did for sinners like you and me, he did in such a way that when we, through faith, embrace Jesus as our Savior, when we through faith acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness of my sin and Jesus is my only answer, when through faith I take hold of Jesus in that moment, this wondrous transaction of God's grace forgives my sin and makes me fully alive. Again, look, in this passage, 
Paul writes, he says, verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. You were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, you being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all your trespasses. Before Jesus Before his sacrifice on the cross was applied to our account, we were dead in our sin. But because of Jesus, because we are forgiven, we now have a new life. It's a life made fully alive by Jesus and with Jesus. Sin no longer has chained us to the guilt and despair that our, that our shame has brought us. Jesus took all the debt our sin owed, and he nailed it to the cross, and then he brought us into God's family. And can I tell you that that's where we find life. We find life in God's family, and the only way To get into God's family, the only way to be made alive is in Christ Jesus by faith in him. But if you have been made alive by Christ Jesus, you're part of God's family. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You're in his family. He's taken ownership for you. And that's that's life without any missing parts. We have been forgiven. We've been made fully alive. Look at verse 15. We've been set free. Verse 15, Jesus, God, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, what is that spectacle? Well, it's the fact that Jesus went to a cross to die the death that our sin demands. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead so that we might have new life through faith in him. And then he reigns supreme. He ascends to the right hand of the throne of God. He is is the one who has uh, conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is the one who defeated uh, all the enemies of holiness. He is the one who uh, demolished the power of sin. He is the one who took the principalities, the spiritual beings of, of evil itself, and he took them prisoner, and he stripped them bare, and he took them on a victory parade so all the watching world for all eternity might know that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, you and I, as followers of Christ, we're walking in that victory. We just sang about it. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. He bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my uh, love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing flood. Here is the victory song that we sing, that Jesus has brought us into the family of God. And friends, when we are set free by Jesus, we are set free indeed. We live. We live in victory. Now, you might say, well, Eric, you don't know my life. It seems like a lot of, uh, a lot of defeats I'm facing today. Oh, friend, it may feel that way, but... As we'll see next week, maybe you'd need to get your focus a little bit changed. Instead of thinking about how bad your life is, think about how good God has already made it. Think about the victory that he's already procured for you. We are no longer under the power of sin. We've been given victory over the power of sin. You might say, well, I still sin. Yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have to. Yeah, you, yeah I, I still sin, 
But I can't use as an excuse any longer, well, you know, I just can't help it. Oh, friends, God has poured His Spirit within you so that you are no longer under the power of sin. That's what Romans chapter 6 is getting at. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, now based upon Jesus being our Lord, based upon we're no longer dead in sin, but we're alive to God, based upon the victory that Jesus has already purchased for us, Romans 6, 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members, your heart, your hand, your mind, your tongue, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members, your hands, your head, your heart, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. What does that mean? It means that in Jesus, I have the victory. And I can live in intimacy with God. And I'm no longer chained to the sin that once bound me. And I can live free. See, there are people who will tell you you've got to do more to be more, but Paul says, and Scripture tells us, that in Jesus Christ, we are everything that we need. We are forgiven, we're fully alive, and we're free. We're free to live in obedience to God, live for the glory of God, live in intimacy with, with, uh, with God in his family. We are free. We are free. No longer chained and bound to a way of life that is futile and leads to disaster. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, how does that, and by the way, that's the gospel. I, I, I hope you know that. That's the gospel. So, how do we live according to the gospel? What, what does that mean? How, how does that make a difference in how we think every day and how we speak every day and how we live every day? Well, it, it changes everything. It changes everything for us. Paul makes some application for us, and, and, and let, let me just read 16 through 23. Um, and Paul, again, he's, he's, he's dealing with these people that were trying to tell believers you've got to do more to be more. You've got to, you've got to follow some Jewish laws or you have to follow some man-made traditions or man-made laws in order to be more. And Paul says that's just a lie. There's no truth to it. So he tells the gospel, verses 11 through 15. Now verse 16 he brings some application, and this is the application we're going to make for ourselves. All right, so, so uh, verse 16, so let no one judge you. Verse 18 says, let no one cheat you. All right, so verse 16, let no one judge you in what you eat or what you drink or regarding a feast or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
said, don't let anybody judge you. Why? Because Jesus has already taken all the judgment on himself, and we've been set free. Verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. He says, why are you living in shadow lands where you uh, put more stock in showing up at church than you do walking in intimacy with God? So why are you living in shadow lands, acting as if uh, uh, taking communion is more important than living in communion with God? Why are you living in the shadow lands as, as if the ritual that you follow is more important than the one you follow? See, Paul's saying you don't have to follow these traditions or these rituals in order to be whole, in order to have direction, in order to have life. You have all the life you need because you are fully forgiven, fully alive, and set free by Jesus. So live in intimacy with him. Stop living in shadow lands of, of ritual or traditions and start living in intimacy with God. Now, again, we're still going to do communion. We're still going to say we need to get together and have worship. Those things are important. But the question is, what weight are you putting on those things? Again, going on, he says, verse, uh, verse uh, 18, let no one cheat you of your prize, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to the regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All right, so what is all that mean? Well, just kind of lay it out here. Paul was talking to these people to say, you got to do more to be more. Uh, it, to be more accepted or acceptable to God, you got to do more. That's a lie. In Christ, you are perfectly and completely accepted and acceptable to God. And let that sink in. All right, so Paul's saying he's attacking these people. He's also attacking the false teaching of these people who were saying, uh, you know, you got to follow these certain regulations in order to be more spiritual, in order to be more mature. Well, certainly there are disciplines we need to follow as followers of Jesus. The Bible talks us that we need to uh, we, we need to study our Scripture and we need to we need to pray. Those are things that we need to do, but but those are things to help us connect with God, not to appear more religious. And we get that mixed up. Friends, we get that mixed up. We think that because we sing a certain song, then somehow we're more spiritual. No, you're more spiritual if you live out the doctrine of Jesus Christ that hopefully is portrayed in that song. The goal is Jesus, not the ritual. Now, what happens here is that the, these folks were actually adding to Jesus. They're saying Jesus is good, but he's not enough. So how, how do we apply in Jesus we are forgiven, fully alive, and free? Well, every day that we live, okay, even in this weird time, 
How do we navigate in these moments? Well, first of all, stop looking for the right answer in the wrong places. And stop looking for the right answer in the wrong places. If I want to know more about fly fishing, I'm not going to go to a cookbook. If I want to know more about mathematics, I'm not going to go to a fly fishing book. Nothing wrong with a fly fishing book. Nothing wrong with a cookbook. Nothing wrong with a mathematical book. All those things are good. But if I'm trying to find answers for fly fishing in a cookbook, I'm going to be absolutely frustrated and disappointed. Paul's telling the church, and God is telling us, stop looking for the answers that will navigate through the difficult days in places that have not the answer. It's not found in false humility or prideful worship. It's not found in, in higher uh, uh, regulations or legalism. Don't taste, don't touch, don't, don't feel. It's, it's not found in, in rituals that we perform or holidays that we celebrate. No, the, the substance, the right answer for today and every day is found in Jesus Christ. If you are experiencing a high degree of anxiety because of the circumstances you find yourself, how are you responding to that? Are you trying to take control? Are you trying to beat somebody else down so that they bend their will to you? Are you living in fantasy land as though there's really, there's really no pandemic? It's not there. No, I, I, all of us do that in different ways at different times according to how we feel or how we want to respond. But as followers of Jesus, we need to stop looking for the right answer, how to navigate our life in wrong places, our control or, or rituals that we follow, the wrong textbook that we consult. We, we need to go to Jesus. Jesus, how do you want me to respond to this? Jesus, what have you told me in your word? Jesus, how have you connected with me? Jesus, you've raised me from the dead place I was in because of my sin. You brought me into your family. I know that you are faithful. You haven't left me alone, so I'm going to follow you. Jesus, just show me, maybe not five weeks from now or even five days from now, maybe just this day, this moment, this encounter. God, just show me. Jesus, just lead me, and I will follow and it's in connection with Jesus that we find strength for our soul, comfort for our heart, direction for our daily living. That's why in verse 10, verse, uh, verse 19, Paul says, hey, listen, the problem that these others were making is that they were not holding fast to the head. So what is he telling us to do? Well, stop looking for right answers in wrong places. And secondly, hold tight to Jesus and don't let go. Again, verse 19, the, the error of these false teachers was they were looking to some other source to do something that they believed Jesus failed to do. But Paul's already said that it's in Jesus that we are fully forgiven, fully alive, and absolutely free. And Jesus has changed our life, and, and he is with us to empower us toward victory every single day. Do you believe that? 
If you believe it, then you need to hold tight to Jesus because he's your only hope. He's my only hope. So why are you living as though you're still navigating your own life, as though you were still trying to find fulfillment apart from Jesus, as though you were still in charge of your own destiny? No, we know that Jesus has the words of life for us today and every day. So we want to hold tightly to Jesus, the head. And it's through Jesus that every part of my life is nourished, verse 19. It's through Jesus that we are joined together in love as community and we help each other and we bear each other's burdens and we support each other and we strengthen each other and we point each other to Jesus again. It's through Jesus that we grow. Imagine this. Imagine your life as, as a climb up a mountain, the side of a mountain to a summit. And uh, some parts of that journey up that mountain to that summit are relatively easy, but some are relatively hard. But all the while, uh, down through the valley and, and up the, the, the gradual incline, you have this rope that you can use to direct your steps and stabilize you as you make your way on this journey. And then you come to the most difficult part of the path so far. You have the rope in your hand, but you see that the path is no longer a path, but rather it is a scaling up the side of a ledge that hangs out over the trail. And so, your goal is the summit. You've got to get there, so you try to figure out how am I going to scale this ledge? Well, the good news is you still have the rope in your hand. The good news is that rope becomes the stabilizing force, the, the, the lifeline for you as you make your way, uh, scaling that that wall past the ridge, and as you get to the very out, uh, furthest out part of that ledge, the, the most difficult part, is that the time when you decide to let go the rope? Say, oh, you know what? I've got this. No, don't, no, I don't need it. It's too hard holding the rope and, and trying to make the climb. I'm just going to make the climb myself. And In fact, look, here's Bill. Bill's making that climb. Oh, wait, Bill didn't make it. He just fell. Well, here's Jim. Jim's, oh, Jim didn't make it either. Well, it doesn't matter what Bill or Jim did. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to walk my path. I'm letting go this rope, and I'm going to scale the ledge on my own. Oh, what a disaster that will be. Make no mistake. On our journey from here to heaven, we have some days not so hard, some days challenging. We have some days that are like scaling the mountain wall and the overhanging ledge. 
And our only hope, our only hope is the lifeline in our hands, and his name is Jesus. And when the days get most difficult, you hold even more tightly, and you don't let go. Are you clinging to Jesus today, or have you decided to do it your own way? One, lead, one way leads to life, and the other to disaster. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, I just want to encourage all of us to consider, to consider whether or not we're clinging tightly to Jesus in these difficult moments. See, the good news for us is, if you're a follower of Jesus, the good news is that Morning by morning, Jesus wakes up with you, committed to you, ready to help you. He is faithful in good times and in bad. He is the strength you need. He is the hope you have. Jesus has given you the forgiveness that you desperately needed to bring you into God's family. He's made you fully alive. He has completed you completely, and he set you free so that you and I can live each day serving God with our whole hearts. But you've got to cling to Jesus. Not be distracted or detoured by any other idea, any other personal pride, any other uh, ritual. Stop substituting what you can do for what Jesus has already done. So in these next few moments, I invite you to join me in singing this song of praise, setting our hearts upon the King who is faithful, always faithful. So God, in these moments, will you speak? We will listen. Will you bend our heart to you? And we will obey Oh, God, will you take us in this moment right now? Will you reveal to us where we're letting go the rope and trying to do life our way? And we will repent of that rebellion. God, will you, will you show us where our hands and our heart and our mind and our mouths have let go the rope to think and to feel to say and to do their own thing rather than what Jesus instructs and leads us to do. And we will repent that rebellion. Nourish our hearts today with your presence, with your truth and with your light. Nourish our hearts today. Comfort us Give us courage. Give us strength. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.